I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Jake Cantor. On the show today, we explore whether Channel 4's privatization has gone cold, audio makers lament as the BBC's audio drama output shrinks, plus Prince Harry and other famous figures launch legal action against the Daily Mail. Also on the show, I catch up with Roger Bolton about his BBC exit, and in the media quiz, we're finding out who's going to court. That's all coming up on today's Media Podcast. In the news this week, Spotify has acquired online trust and safety company Kinzen. Reuters reports that the acquisition is part of the audio platform's efforts to deal with harmful content following the COVID misinformation scandal over the Joe Rogan experience earlier this year. Meanwhile, Meta is shutting down its newsletter subscription service, Bulletin. Launched just over a year ago during the newsletter boom, demand seems to have levelled off, with Substack also recently cutting 14% of its staff after the company was unable to secure a new round of financing. In the world of telly, Talk TV has gone from channel 627 to 606 on Virgin Media, inching closer to their legacy competitors as it rolls out a new evening schedule. Vanessa Feltz and Jeremy Carl will take prominent slots as the channel looks to boost its ratings. And award-winning photographer and former head of photography at The Guardian, Eamon McCabe has died at the age of 74. Writers and artists are among those who have paid tribute to his profound contribution to sport and portraiture. On our show today, I have three experts to tackle the latest in media news. First up, we have the wonderful Channel 4 historian Maggie Brown. Welcome, Maggie. Hello. Uh, Tell us what you've been up to. What's, What's keeping you busy? Well, I've been very busy, actually, on the whole Channel 4 issue, as you might imagine. I um, am pretty certain that the privatisation is not going to go ahead. There have been two very big indications of this. One is that the the new culture secretary didn't mention it at all uh, at the Conservative Party conference. But just before that, I was at the Royal Television Society convention and um, I was picking up these very, very strong views that it had been stopped, um, it was being dropped. I'm told also that the Lord's Communications Committee is chaired by somebody who's very sceptical about it. There hasn't been a full, really, um, kind of explanation of this, but I suspect that the whole price of Channel 4 has gone down because they they can't do uh, a very commercial deal if Channel 4 is in the middle of this levelling up agenda, which has always been, to my mind, 
the big problem. It sounds like we're going to have a really great discussion in terms of uh, this potential deal going cold. I just want to bring in our other guests. So all the way from Australia is pod news editor and conference host extraordinaire, James Cridland. Welcome, James. Good uh, morning or evening, depending on uh, your time zone. Uh, Jake, uh, greetings. Yes. What's happening down under? Oh, it's uh, it's all going on down here. Uh, we had uh, podcast day 24, of course, here in Sydney earlier on in the week, as you did in London. And uh, that was that was great fun. So yes, I'm basically coming down from uh, that excitement. Fantastic. Let's head back to Channel 4, shall we? As Maggie was just alluding to, it feels like this deal may be off the agenda, that the government may be reconsidering whether moving ahead with privatisation is the right way forward. Maggie's clearly got her own sources, but uh, Broadcast Magazine has also reported this week that a potential sale has slipped off the political agenda. Maggie, I know you said that you think that this is the kind of the way the wind is blowing, but I wondered why that is the case and what's changed apart from a new prime minister. Well, <laughs> I was speaking to David Putnam, Lord Putnam, uh, last night, and he has been obviously a very strong defender of the status quo of Channel 4, or at least um, the Channel 4 being a, a publicly owned uh, company. And obviously it's facing its 40th anniversary right now. And the general view he had was that it is off, that it won't come back, that they would not have got it through uh, either the House of Lords or probably the House of Commons. In addition, Michael Grade, who is now the chairman of Ofcom, made a very uh, clear statement at the again at the Royal Television Society about how he was completely objective despite his very firm previously held views now i have been in debates with grade over this and uh, i can i just know that the the ground has shifted in addition we've all had this rather wonderful spectacle of the previous culture secretary nadine doris being deprived of her <laughs> her moment of victory. And I mean, I think she hasn't helped the case for privatisation by being so totally ignorant of, you know, the way that Channel 4 is put together. What I think has also happened is something else. It is that actually for 12 years, the Conservative governments, all of them, have been beating up the public service broadcasters. That's really what's been going on, including the BBC. And I think that this is now a rather chastening moment for all of them. They've seen that there's a great benefit from having proper broadcasters who, who basically tell the truth. And there's a lot of uh, a goodwill. There's been a shift, in other words, in the culture and not before time. James, do you think that some of this might be wishful thinking from the industry? Or do you think Maggie's sense is right that the ground has shifted? I mean, I do hope that Maggie's sense is right. I noticed that Nadine Dorries seems to be back on Twitter <laughs> and has tweeted uh, three days ago, widespread dismay, widespread she says, dismay. at the That's fact right. that three years of work has effectively been put on hold. And what I think uh, I'm quite excited by is that she then says three things all signed off by Cabinet, all ready to go, all stops. One of those is the Channel 4 sale. Hooray. One of these is the terrible online safety bill. And the third one is the BBC licence fee review. Now, if they've cancelled that as well, then hurrah, so far as I'm concerned. Well, that's not what Michelle Donnellan has said. So just to be clear, the, her official position in her interviews last week on Channel 4 was that they would re-examine the business case. And I think they are keeping their mind open about the licence fee review. 
but that's a whole other a whole big issue but so let's run with the narrative that this is now off the agenda do you think that the industry needs to be careful about how it talks about this as an issue because i think it would be a dangerous for it to start crowing about victory at this point oh indeed and i think you know we you know all of us need to be pretty careful because actually all of us don't quite know what's going on in terms of all of the things that uh, nadine doris was planning and whether or not all of those are cancelled or not uh, maggie i wonder whether actually this has not been a terrible process for channel 4 whether it has helped sharpen its approach to its remit and consider its own future in a way that will actually help it become more sustainable? Well, there is an aspect that I would agree with and that I think it is useful that it is becoming a national commissioner, that it has actually moved out of London in a quite substantial and genuine way. So yes, big tick there. But it does put an organisation under stress to have its top people continually involved in what has to be a quite delicate lobbying, uh, unable really all the time to put their energies and their devotion into what they put on screen and what they put on the their, their digital services. I mean, they're, they're, they're not a big organisation. No, but has the content been impacted? Do you, do you think Channel 4 has taken its eye off the ball? Not really, but it hasn't had the kind of big breakthrough hits that the previous administration under Jay Hunt did actually land, whether or not you agree it was right to take the Great British Bake Off or not. But it has got a lot of things right, like the goggle boxes. Uh, and of course, you know, the way that it's managed to go into uh, the Paralympics, for example. So all of that has come out in the wash. But I still think, in principle, you cannot be better off if somebody, if a government's been basically battering you for 12 years. James, do you think we might see Channel 4 trying to embrace this alternative vision that it put forward? This idea of, uh, uh, I think they, they called it next episode, in, in that uh, an intellectual property yeah. joint venture would be struck with an external investor, um, uh, and that would hopefully allow a bit more investment in content. Do you think we might see that? I mean, I think, you know, Channel 4, as someone that um, lives overseas, you know, here in Australia, I think that uh, a broadcaster like Channel 4 is really missing in quite a few different uh, markets globally. And I think, you, you know, it would be a great shame if what makes Channel 4 tick was going to, to go away from the airwaves in the UK. You know, it does appear to uh, focus very much on things that uh, you wouldn't expect on ITV, you wouldn't expect on uh, Sky or indeed on uh, Channel 5. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, it, it, it probably says quite a lot that we see a fair amount of Channel 4 shows here in Australia because they're good enough to actually export. OK. Yes, and also, of course, remember, uh, Jake, with that, with that £100 million fund, how can they actually strike that kind of deal at the moment when their ownership is still, you might say, I don't think it is still up in the air, but it does need some formal end to this discussion before it can go on to its next phase of development. It's just common sense. Yes, the government will have to come out with an official position and we will cover it right here on the Media Podcast. But let's move on to our second story. 
And that's audio giant Spotify has announced that it will cancel at least 10 original podcasts. James, you've been following this. Tell us a bit about the story. Yeah, I mean, Spotify has a slate of over 500 different podcasts, so cancelling 10 of them probably isn't a story, but uh, it is part of a wider change happening in the podcast landscape. It's also supposed to be the first time that Spotify have cancelled a set of podcasts, but I'm not necessarily sure that that's true either. Um, The wider story, though, I think here is that Spotify's podcasts have been losing money. So they've lost $110 million, or if you like it better that way, £110 million. Uh, And the stock market um, thinks that a recession is coming, and it now wants companies to focus on near-term profit, not long-term growth. So we're seeing a lot of change in the podcast market because of that. I mean, I look through... Pod news over the last few months. There's a lot going on. ACAST just made 70 people redundant. Odyssey made 250 people redundant. ESPN 300. CNN has also uh, laid off uh, some of its podcast staff. Vox Media, Patreon, you know, etc., etc. There's a lot of this going on, and I don't think that uh, Spotify is you know, immune from uh, any of the changes to the financial market. It's all slightly counterintuitive because we, we read and uh, hear so much about this audio boom. And yet here we are talking about cutbacks. Yeah, but, but I think, you know, it, it, it's very clear that we are going into a recession. How long or how deep that recession is going to be, nobody quite knows. But certainly if you work in the events uh, industry, then you already know that we're going into a recession because we're in one. So I think from that point of view, that's certainly made uh, quite a change. But I think, you know, it's it's just a tightening up of what people are expecting right now. Maggie, um, do you think Spotify is starting to behave a bit more like a sort of traditional broadcaster in commissioning and uh, and cancelling shows? Uh, Well, yes, I I do up to a point. What I think it's really doing is making sure that it isn't just totally dependent on music. uh, And it's trying very hard to make a really big impression and make a real business out of the uh, podcasting and and to sign up or to, to offer deals to the publishers who do have their own podcasts and maybe would like their form of exposure through a Spotify network. So I think cancelling 10 is really uh, insignificant when you set that against the the targets that they're setting themselves right now. Yes. Yeah. Give us a little flavour of what else has gone. I, I mean, I'm looking at this list and I don't recognise any of the podcasts. Needless to say, it doesn't include the Joe Rogan experience, which is probably the podcast people associate with Spotify most. <laughs> well, and the Joe Rogan experience is interesting because that's not part of the standard Spotify audience network that they go out and sell. And my understanding is because it's got brand safety issues. Um, and so therefore, they don't uh, go and sell that um, along with everything else. But uh, yeah, the reason why why you haven't recognised any of these, How to Save a Planet, Crimes of Passion, <laughs> Dictator, Mythology, Every Little Thing. The reason why you don't recognise any of these is because they are um, about to be cancelled. <laughs> and, and they are not, um, presumably Popular. not performing particularly well. But Spotify, you know, clearly has some tremendously popular ones. Um, uh, you know, Batman Unburied is doing very well. Meghan Markle's Archetypes, which is never out of the news, it seems, is there. They launched earlier on in the week Kim Kardashian doing a true crime podcast. And you might think, oh, my goodness, really? But actually, it turns out that Kim Kardashian is studying to become a lawyer. So maybe one of the only 
true crime podcasts where the person actually understands crime, which is interesting. And they've also done a deal with uh, Alex Cooper's Call Her Daddy as well. So they are continuing to do an awful lot of that. They are very successful in what they do. And I wouldn't be concerned at all seeing less than 5% of their shows being uh, cancelled. In fact, that's what I would expect them to do. Okay, let's jump from Spotify to the BBC, which is also experiencing some cutbacks. Audio UK has published some research which has found that uh, Radio 4's drama output will have fallen by 50% in five years from 2017 to 2023. That seems like uh, a really worrying figure, doesn't it, Maggie? Yes, it is. That It's all uh, a sign of the BBC having to make the cutbacks we've been talking about with a frozen licence fee, an unsympathetic government, but also changes too in the way that it actually allows people to access its drama. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a keen user of BBC Sounds and it does have a, a very rich archive in, in drama. It, it may well be that some of the, the 50%, the gap, will be taken up with quite genuinely good repeats. But overall, we all know that Radio 4, you can see it, uh, a radio across the board, the, the loss of some very highly rated uh, presenters through to the cutbacks in its budgets and the, the really the if you like the the thinning down you might say of some of the radio force richness which i think is just uh, very sad one of the things that that we ought to worry about is that traditionally bbc drama whether or not the the new the new dramas work or not it has provided a leg up into drama script writing and and indeed for, for some actors too into this world of quite difficult to, to penetrate drama what has happened since really the the 80s has been a tremendous push in 90s into creating our own creative economy in the UK which has been hugely successful and it's been made up of all sorts of components and of course we've been talking about channel 4 but the BBC the established broadcasters have all played their part and these other entry points into this creative economy and of course all of the the technicians and the people off camera uh, who've been trained and have been able to bring people along with them that has been a very good model up to this point maybe until about 10 years ago now we're in very different territory yes it's i mean as always with these bbc dramas uh you know and you look at the soaps as well they're all fantastic training grounds for dramatists aren't they i mean the bbc has said we're investing in audio drama by paying more to suppliers after years of frozen costs and innovating on demand with ambitious podcasts to bring the delight of audio to wider audiences james this sounds a bit like tim's tim davies mantra of sort of fewer bigger better i don't i don't know does that does that make sense that strategy i think it's a reflection of a change in consumption i I don't know if you remember a radio station called one word that was full of audiobooks and drama it didn't work as a radio station because you tune in and it would be david copperfield part 25 of 47 You know, it was a format that worked in terms of on-demand, or would have done, um, but for live radio, I'm, I'm not so sure. I don't think that people make an appointment now to sit down to Radio 4, Monday afternoon, quarter past two, because that's when the afternoon play is on. I don't think that people are actually doing that anymore, but... 
fiction, audio fiction or audio drama, uh, if you want to be very, very British about it, is booming. It's bigger now than it's ever been because fiction podcasts are growing tremendously. And that's where the writers are now. That's where all of this work is going on. Some research came out from Spotify earlier in the week, which said that fiction podcasts have the highest completion rate of any podcast genre. Uh And earlier on this year, Triton Digital said in the US that fiction is the top podcast genre for young women. So women aged between 18 and 24. It's doing really, really well. And I think, you know, I have had a really good chat with a fiction podcast company based in the UK called Rusty Quill a month or so ago. And they were saying that programmatic advertising makes fiction podcasts much easier to earn money from than it's ever been because the advertising is put into these things automatically and taken out automatically. And because fiction shows are evergreen, once they're out there, they sit there and they earn money forever. So actually, I think that there is real opportunity now and arguably that opportunity isn't on a live radio station at a quarter past two in the afternoon on a Monday and and, and is much more so in terms of... On That's the really interesting though because I mean if you look at BBC Sounds data and you look at a show like The Archers that is performing really well with young people on sounds and people are tuning in and they're binging The Archers rather than listening to it through traditional radio. So yeah, the, 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 there is evidence here that there is a future for these kind of shows in a different environment. Yes, I would agree. And I think that's also where the, where the money is, where the VC money is, because many podcast companies are using audio fiction as a testing ground to then take that IP and make movies from them. So C13 Features is a large company in the US, and they are making feature-length fiction podcasts with Hollywood stars. They're calling them Movies for Your Ears, which is a very fancy way of saying, <laughs> of saying audio fiction. But, you know, and then they're and then they're doing deals with the talent agencies to actually get those to be um, made as movies or to t- be turned into books and all kinds of things. So actually, I think in terms of audio drama overall, we're in real. You know, I hesitate to use the phrase "golden age," but we are. We're in a, re- a real good place, I think, in terms of where that particular genre is. And I hate to say, I don't think that that's what live radio is there for. And I don't think that, you know, the the 2.15pm slot on Radio 4, historically, that's never performed particularly well in terms of radio. And I can't necessarily see that being where the future of audio fiction consumption is going. But I also don't think that audio fiction consumption is going down at all. Well, that's really good. I'm glad to hear it. You've cheered me up no end. (laughs) Excellent. End part one on that positive note. So thank you very much, James. (laughs) Well, our deep dive segment this week is with the host of a brand new podcast, uh, veteran broadcaster, Roger Bolton. Roger joined me to chat about his new podcast, Beep Watch, and share his thoughts on one of the broadcaster's biggest challenges, pleasing older audiences while also attracting new ones. There are lots of older people for whom radio in particular is the lifeline. Uh, They're stuck at home. They can't move. Radio takes them places that they can no longer go or maybe never have been. You must be very careful if you take that away. There'll be a lot of anger. And also, what are we doing as a society to these people, depriving them of this? We've built up this magnificent, on the whole, 
broadcasting network, which is full of exper experimentation and interest, and in radio in particular, they're extraordinary riches still. Are we going to take them away from people? What sort of society do we want? And do you think your own departure from the BBC is symptomatic of some of these things that you're describing? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, don't, I mean, you don't think that the BBC was... thought we need to... We need to have a younger presenter on feedback. Well, they've got one. They've got one, a very good one, I think, coming up, Andrea Cathwood, and she's in her mid-50s. I'm in my mid-70s. I mean, come on, I've had 22, 23 years. Um, I can't complain. I will complain, but I shouldn't <laughs> complain. And I, would have, and I would like to have gone, gone on. But I don't think you can say it's significant of much. They've clearly made an error, but all managers make an error. I don't think it beats much. I was very fortunate, and I, but I do care. I want to continue, uh, and this is why podcasts is a wonderful. Oh, gosh, where would I be if there weren't podcasts? My, you know, you never make any money or anything else, but you just might influence the debate and provide a space where people can talk freely and openly in a way they can't elsewhere. Did the Radio Four controller articulate any of these issues to you when you were told that you you may <laughs> you may you may be you may be uh, heading for the exit door? Oh, the BBC, it's never managed these things. Well, look, to be fair to the controller, he took me for a cup of coffee, didn't quite make lunch, a uh, cup of coffee, and he said when they were putting the programme out to tender, they weren't going to put my name on it. Pause. Previously, they've already done it, you know. Doesn't necessarily mean you won't do it, Roger, but we think we need to look around. That was about it, and then it became sort of understood, but nobody said that would be going. And even with two weeks, you know, two weeks to go, nothing. And they are inept at these sort of things. So all you have to do is to tell people, it's quite reasonable, you've done a long stint, Roger, thank you very much indeed. We'll throw, you know, we'll throw a drinks party for you for 15 minutes on the day of your last programme. Only take 20 minutes, maybe. And uh, fine, shake hands. And by the way, if you've any, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're not good at that sort of thing. But I don't think, you know, I have no hard feelings. And I think, I, you know, I have no hard feelings. And I think he's a good controller in difficult circumstances. But of course, I'd like to go on and on and on. <laughs> How long do you think you could have continued? Or would like to have continued? Well, I would have liked to have. Who knows? I mean, you know, when you get older, too many of your friends. I mean, if you saw the Jeremy Paxman program. I'd, I'd I have seen it. I saw it last night, actually. Heartbreaking. And you realise how fortunate you are to be in this situation. Well, how long would I want you to go on? Um, firstly, as long as possible, but particularly the next two years, because I think these are absolutely crucial for the future of public service broadcasting. I want to be part of the debate. I don't know many of the answers. I do more, know more of the questions than most people having been there. And I think we've got to be very careful before we make a fundamental change in what we're doing. But equally, I absolutely accept the status quo is not an option. You can't say to young people who don't use BBC services, you've got to pay for them. Mm. You've got to have a better answer than that. I mean, clearly the BBC is experiencing a somewhat of an exodus of, uh, of presenting talent and behind-the-scenes talent. Why do you think that is? Well, the BBC would tell you it's a natural churn. And there's a truth to that. And another truth is that a lot of people are broadcasting for longer. <laughs> you know, people are not retiring not on BBC staff contracts, they're freelance. If you're on a BBC staff contract, you retired even as a presenter at, say, 60 and went off and did something else. Maybe we're fitter, we want to stay in. Maybe we're freelancers, maybe we don't have as much money as we want, or whatever it is. But I think that people are staying longer. At the same time, you know, younger people have to be brought through. So I think it's a natural wastage. But I do think that there is a real attempt to get younger presenters and to connect and also to connect with a different 
uh, communities, people of ethnic backgrounds and so on. So the question is not whether they should be doing this because they have to do it. The question is the speed at which they're doing it. And the other thing is, and this gets very difficult to talk about, you have to pay some attention to ability, <laughs> you know, when they're actually good at the job. So whether, whereas you've got to have a general policy of phasing out older people and bringing young people, it's inevitable. A lot of us will complain about that, but it's life. But don't throw the old uh, grandfather out with the belt. <laughs> um, and just just finally on Be Watch, what can we expect from the show over the coming weeks and months? What we're going to try and do is make sure it's relevant to the BBC, what's happened in the moment, talking to really interesting people, encouraging them to be as frank as possible and having a bit of fun. So I'm going to be talking to Joan Bakewell this week, who's an old friend I've worked with a long time, who's an amazing person, but about arts coverage and what's happening there. A week later, I'll be talking to David Dimbleby, who I've worked with about uh, what you, about the political interview. And frankly, you know, whether there's any point in doing them anymore, so we'll have a good chat about that. So I hope that it's a, it's it's fun, it's relaxing, but it gives people a real insight into the issues that are at the heart of the debate over the next two years about public service broadcasting, or oh, in a bit of mischief as well. That was Roger Bolton. You can find his new show, Roger Bolton's Beat Watch, on your podcast app of choice. And to hear more from our guest on redefining public service broadcasting, subscribe to our Patreon. By subscribing to Patreon, You'll not only access an archive of insight-rich interviews with media experts, but you'll also support the team that makes this show. Go to patreon.com slash media podcast to find out more. It's time for a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this with a royal controversy at Netflix. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. I'm back with our two uh, marvellous guests, Maggie Brown and James Cridland. Uh, we're going to do a bit of news in brief, and we'll start with the Sussexes. The, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have reportedly asked Netflix to edit their documentary, their access documentary that they're doing for Netflix, following the death of the Queen. 
Maggie, I mean, this hasn't been officially confirmed, this documentary, this access piece that they're doing, but to all intents and purposes, it looks like it's happening and it will make big news. So it's really interesting that they're trying to perhaps change the rules of engagement. Yes, well, I don't blame them. I mean, you know, everybody's, uh, I think, rather fed up with them, to be honest. Uh, I suppose we'll be watching, but I think we could hear less from them in future. It would be a great improvement to my life anyway. <laughs> not a big fan then, Maggie. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not. And James, what do you make of this? My, uh, my parents were over a couple of uh, months ago and, um, you know, as soon as conversation got on to Meghan Markle, my goodness, the, the vitriol towards them was, uh, you know, astonishing, you know. So I think, I think, you know, clearly people have strong views about uh, the Sussexes and clearly that's why the media insists on covering these uh, stories in breathless detail. But um, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm that bothered. And there's a sort of inherent tension, isn't there, with the Sussexes? I mean, we've got, on the one hand, uh, this story about a big access documentary, fly-on-the-wall documentary they're doing for Netflix. But in the same week, they are part of a group of celebrities taking legal action against the publisher of the Daily Mail, uh, Associated Newspapers, for what looks like really flagrant breaches, at least what they're alleging, very flagrant breaches of privacy. And they are taking legal action over what looks like what they claim is abhorrent criminal activity. James, could you tell us a bit more about this story? I think there's a couple of interesting parts to this. One part is, of course, that uh, Paul Dacre uh, is supposed to be in the running for the House of Lords. Would that happen if anything is found out to be true in this? You know, so from that point of view, that's that's very interesting. From the other sort of side, um, the Daily Mail have said under oath in court in the past that they have never done any of the things which have been uh, alleged. And if it comes out that they have, then that's clearly another interesting legal issue, legal stoush that uh, may or may not uh, happen. So it's difficult to say an awful lot about what's been uh, alleged so far, but I think it will be uh, most certainly worthwhile keeping an eye yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole shopping list of issues here that they raise from, you know, hiring of private investigators to uh, secret listening devices, you know, live phone calls being surreptitiously recorded, uh, needless to say, yeah, uh, accessing of bank yeah. accounts and credit histories is all kinds of And just to be clear, yes, you yeah. know, Associated Newspapers deny this in the strongest possible terms. But it will be really fascinating to see how this plays out. Clearly, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle have been extremely, how should we say, robust in their dealings with the press uh, since they've left the royal family. And, uh, you know, I've shown that they're clearly prepared to take legal action where they think it's appropriate and just on the uh, on the peerage for what could be soon to be lord dacre i mean look the telegraph had a uh, a leaked list of those being put forward to to join the house of lords uh, it didn't feature nadine dorries maggie oh, lady <laughs> dorries uh, or dame dorries <laughs> oh good lord Okay, shall we move on to the media quiz? Uh, this week, we're asking our guests to update us on media court cases, some ongoing and many uh, brand new. Uh, so, 
the rules of engagement. I'll give you one word at a time of a media news headline involving a celebrity and a court case. All you need to do is jump in with your name when you know the story. So, Maggie, you will say... Maggie. And James? James. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get stuck in. Uh, the first, uh, and I'm just going to literally read out a series of words and then you jump in with your name. So, number one, Trump sues CNN for defamation. <laughs> James. Okay. <laughs> Off you go, James. <laughs> I think this is a story about Trump suing CNN for defamation, uh, if you ask me. He, of course, is uh, very well uh, known for calling CNN fake news, as indeed he called uh, the BBC for a while as well. Uh, he's now accusing the network of smearing him. CNN has been comparing him to Adolf Hitler, uh, which is uh, always uh, always an interesting side. I mean, CNN, uh, it, it is fascinating looking at what is going on at CNN at the moment after the big thing around CNN Plus, which was launched and then cancelled. They seem to be getting rid of an awful lot of their good journalists, but also their opinionated journalists as well. So I think, um, you know, CNN is a fascinating company to watch. But uh, Trump suing uh, CNN for defamation, I suspect, is just to get into the news cycle so that uh, his supporters remember that the great orange man still well, exists. It's interesting timing as well, because uh, there's been reports that CNN is attempting to pull back from its anti-Trump rhetoric under the new ownership of Discovery Warner. So it's, uh, it's you know, the fact that this has coincided with uh, some of those reports uh, will be interesting to see how that plays out. So I'm going to move on to our second question. Uh, number two, Musk, Twitter could reach deal to end... Maggie. Maggie. He'll go ahead and uh, take over Twitter and he's going to buy it. It's uh, after our long summer of drama. Good thing or bad thing? Yeah, I mean, look, you're right. You're right. Bad thing. I think it's a bad thing. Um, I mean, Musk's got plenty enough to do trying to get his electric cars, you know, working properly around the world. Why does he really want to control Twitter? I think it's a shame. It feels slightly odd to go through all of these shenanigans that they've done in the last few months and... He's buying it for the same price they originally proposed. He, he is the archetypal James Bond villain, isn't he? He's even got the James Bond villain's name. Um, yeah. I, I do wonder what it means for uh, Twitter and what it means for the users of uh, Twitter. You know, Elon Musk is a very Marmite character and there are some people that love what he does and that love his way of business and love his cars and love everything else. And there are other people uh, who would run a mile to avoid him. And... I wonder whether this is good news or bad news for Twitter's uh, future and whether or not this may, you know, help people move away from Twitter and find something else. Well, I like Twitter, actually, and I think it, I think Twitter basically is a good thing. And I, you don't have to actually respond to any of the trolls and you don't have to expose yourself if you don't want to. I think we could dedicate a whole podcast to, to Elon Musk, couldn't we? What I'm going to take from this is your brilliant, <laughs> a brilliantly sage advice maggie which is ignore the trolls and control what you say on twitter that those are lessons that we could all learn from i think so so it's one one at the moment so this is the uh this is the the tiebreaker i'm going to read out another statement you give me the story so james dyson sues what's the story <laughs> james. Go on, james 
I think this is uh, about the dreadful Hoover man. Uh, I think it's about James Dyson, um, who uh, is uh, suing Channel 4 for libel over a news report. So plenty of uh, suing uh, media companies going on uh, at the moment. And uh, clearly he uh, feels that Channel 4's news report, uh, which was talking about abuse and exploitation in a Malaysia factory of a former supplier to his firm, wasn't particularly fair. So we will find out whether or not that is. But I mean, you know, obviously lots of people going to court. Lachlan Murdoch is taking a large uh, company to court here in Australia as well. So always fascinating seeing all of this stuff just because they don't like the comments that have been made about them in uh, covering. So you're, you're spot on, James. So I think that makes you the winner. Maggie, should Channel 4 be worried about this? No. <laughs> okay. I think we'll just leave, we'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Congratulations, James. I don't know how that... Uh, that stacks your record in terms of media quiz. Uh, I think that's my first victory. So um, Your first victory. Well, huge congratulations. I'm, I'm delighted. I'm a serial loser, so <laughs> I have confirmed my own little rating. It's a bit like I don't know, doing Wordle or something, being unable to do it. Maggie, we are all winners having you on the podcast. So thank you both for your time. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. My thanks to Maggie Brown and to... James Cridlin. Where can we find you guys if we want to follow your work and, and hear more about what you're up to? James? Uh, you should be getting Pod News, which is a free daily newsletter all about podcasting and on demand. And you can get that for free at podnews.net or find it in your favourite podcast app and in quite a few that aren't your favourite. And Maggie? Well, if you go to the BFI on the South Bank and go to its bookshop, you'll see huge piles of both of my Channel 4 histories uh, up for sale because they're having obviously a 40th uh, anniversary kind of roll call of programming and also on the 2nd of November they're having a, a thing with me, a sort of an hour or so of me being interviewed so about Channel 4 so if you are desiring to yet know more about Channel 4 then please uh, take note. Fantastic we hope you enjoyed today's show there are three simple things you can do to support the team so we can keep bringing you media news each week become a patron of the show at patreon.com mediapod you'll be able to access an archive of deep dive interviews with the media experts that's patreon.com mediapod or if you don't have any spare change not to worry tell your friend or colleague about the show on twitter uh, or linkedin and of course Follow us to hear new episodes when they drop on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to podfollow.com slash the media podcast. My name's Jake Cantor. The producer was Phoebe Adler Ryan with support from Matt Hill. And it was a Rethink Audio production. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.